I was going to bring in this box this morning, um, but we have limited space here. And inside the box are just all these concert tickets from um, all the shows that I've been to. There's some in there from high school all the way up to now. And it's just full of tickets. My son has started putting his tickets in there. Um, so that's a little weird. But because um, I have a thing about the box. But he, he saw Eric Clapton a couple weeks ago. And he was like, can I put my Clapton ticket in there? And I was like, because it's Eric Clapton, you can put it in the box. So um, your One Direction ticket will not go in there. So trust me, he's not going to see them. Um, but nevertheless, uh, but I was going to bring it in because honestly, as someone who has seen his fair share of live shows, um, I, you think that I would have at some point been one of those people who made a sign and held it up in the audience in hopes that the band would see it. And um, I, I'm sure you're familiar with these, but they're, they're not just at concerts, but at ball games, um, whatever the, I think that's it, concerts and ball games. No one does them in church, uh, but feel free to hold them up. We love you, Derek. Um, so... But you've seen these before, and my favorite one, I think it's up here now, but my favorite one, the next one, is uh, from the 1985 Live Aid show, and very creative sign. This is going to fall flat uh, because of the age, the median age in the room, but some of you will get this. But they bold printed, they made a sentence, a statement on the sign, but they bold printed uh, all the names of certain bands that were playing uh, that day. So I'm going to read it to you in case you can't see it. It says, uh, Africa in Dire Straits. Anybody? Dire Straits, we got that? Okay. Who? The who, thank you. Uh, now, it says adamant, but you, you, you need to hear Adam Ant is what you need to hear. This is great, isn't it? This is great. Um, who is adamant to help? The Tears for Fears. Come on. Great band. The Tears for Fears of Young Simple Minds. Sting. Sting's birthday was yesterday, I think. You too, ah, can end the status quo. Any status quo fans in the house? Exactly, exactly. Got a couple in the back, yeah. So I love these signs. But people hold them up for one reason. They want the band to see them. That's pretty much it. Because it's aimed at the singer. It's aimed at the stage. What they want is for them to acknowledge, hey, I see your sign. Again, I've never done this. I did, however, uh, go and see the Indigo Girls a hundred million times in high school because they went to my high school. And um, I would hold up, I went to Shamrock High School, I would hold up a Shamrock High School t-shirt in hopes that they would see it. And one time, uh, Amy Ray was talking and I held it up in the back just like an idiot. you know. And she was like, blah, 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 blah. Something important, you know, something about injustice, something about racism, something about things we should care about. And then she stopped and went, oh, Shamrock High School, that's great. And then she went on. So I will say that I got, I got seen. Uh, but that's why people hold these up, so that they might be seen uh, by others. Most of us in the room participate at some level on social media. And most of us already know that behind whatever it is that we post, whatever it is that we send out there, um, what we're hoping for is that our postings will garner the likes and the mentions and the re-whatevers that we're going for. That's pretty much why we do it. 
We hope to be seen for what we've put out there. We want to be seen. We want to know that um, at the end of the day, somebody noticed us. That's a very human thing. Some people would say it's a negative thing. I don't think it's negative. I think it tells us that we are human uh, because we want to know that our lives mean something. Uh, We want to know that someone else sees us. And underneath all of that is this fear of not just missing out on something, but of being alone, of being unseen, of being isolated. That's what's behind so much of what we do. And again, I don't think it's a negative. Uh, It's not something to fix, but it is something to notice as Christians, to notice what we're doing when we do these things. It's very human of us to do that. All the way back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, um, God says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be what? Alone. It's interesting. I will make a helper as his partner, he says. Now, this is about isolation. This isn't about getting away for a bit. This isn't about periods of self-care. This isn't about, I just can't even with you. Those are all real and necessary. This is about a life of isolation, of being so alone that it's impossible to move forward. Uh, And this is the first time in the Bible, by the way, that God labels something as not good. This is the first thing we get. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not sin. It's not something that we've done wrong. It's not something about our character. It's about isolation. It's about living an unseen, unsupported, and unattached life. And something um, about our text today, something that's the heart of our text, is this this, uh, issue of being seen by God. The writer begins in uh, the text that Joel just read for us, reiterating uh, what the earliest Christian communities understood about Jesus, that in the person of Jesus, we have, we have seen God. That's the claim that the Bible makes about Jesus. It's a very definitive claim. That when we look at Jesus, when we see him, when we listen to his teachings, we are seeing God. He talks about the ways God had shown himself in the past through the prophets, He talks about how we had seen and heard God speak in various ways through the prophets of the past, these ancient prophets of Israel. But in these last days, he writes, we have seen God in the person of God's Son. So in Jesus, what the writers of the New Testament are saying is this. In Jesus, God wrote himself into the story of human history. He entered our reality. And he, in the lowered state of flesh and bones, God was made visible among us. And it's a certain sort of presence that the Bible is talking about here. And it's a presence that is rooted in interest and care. That God is interested in us and that he cares for us. When Joel was reading the text, many of the verses were, not, were the wrong verses. But, uh, but that's okay. I do, it. I do it every week. They're great verses. Um, but in the text, the writer of Hebrews quotes, sort of, he messes with Psalm chapter 8. And in verse 6 of chapter 2, uh, the writer says this, But someone has testified somewhere, which I love that. 
He's not even referencing chapter or verse number. He's just saying, somebody somewhere said, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, of mortals that you care for them? Psalm 8 is the someone has testified somewhere reference. And the Hebrews writer understands a couple of things. He understands the expansiveness of God and God's creation, that God is somehow entirely other than you and me. And yet, he writes, that God is mindful of us. That's the question he raises. Who are we that you are even mindful of us? And that you care for us. That even though God is entirely other, he's interested in you and me. And the writer of Hebrews asked the question, why? Who are we? What have we done to not just catch your attention, but that you are mindful of who we are? We are seen by God, and what God sees in us is inspired by God's care for us. Let's talk about the eyes of God for just a moment. Usually when we want to get God's attention, or anyone's attention for that matter, it comes through from this idea of enough. If I just do enough. Uh, here's a list. If I pray enough, if I learn enough Bible, if I give enough, well, that might be true. You might want to give enough. Um, <laughs> if I serve enough, if I suffer enough, maybe God will see me. Maybe God will notice me. This is not, again, this is very human behavior. We do this in all relationships. What do I have to do what, to be seen by you? What do I have to do enough of to be recognized by you? And in faith and in religion, we do this all the time. We think in terms of God seeing me and recognizing me and hearing me if I wave my arms Enough, if I say enough, if I pray enough, if I serve enough, if I suffer enough, etc. If I uh, say all the right things, enough. Uh, the first century uh, Roman philosopher Seneca, this is what he called this. He called this fatiguing the gods. He would see religious people in their behaviors, the way that they prayed, the way that they did all the things that they did, and he would say they are fatiguing the gods. They're making the gods. They're exhausting the gods. And the curation of the public and spiritual self is not really a game that God needs to play. In fact, he doesn't want to play it. It's not interesting to God. If, if I can just do enough of these spiritual things, it's not very interesting to God. God is first and foremost interested in just me and you. One of my favorite stories about um, God's name, and God has many names in the Old Testament, um, many, I mean hundreds of different names, and people would give God names based on an experience they had with God. So if God provided, they would give a name of God that said God is provider. If God rescued them, they would give him the name God is the rescuer or the savior. And so on. these are all names that people gave God. And now the very first story of someone naming God is interesting. Um, it's if you know the story of Abraham, Abraham has promised many children, and he's like old when he hears this promise from God. And he looks at his wife, and his wife looks at him, Sarah, and they're just like, I don't know how this is going to happen. I'm like 90, you're like 80-something. I'm just going to say no. 
And um, that's a joke you'll get later. But, uh, or now. But, so they have this wonderful idea that Abraham will just sleep with uh, their servant, Hagar. And so that's what they do. And they have a child through Hagar, or she's pregnant. And as, as it always goes, when you sleep with your servant, um, there's very little peace in the household, okay? And so Hagar gets run off to live a life on her own. And she's pregnant. She's in the wilderness. She is crying. She is distraught. She is suffering. And God meets her there. And what's interesting is she says this in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 16. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of what? Seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me or who sees me. The vi- Please get this. The very first person, the very first time God gets a name is from a woman who is in suffering and God sees her. God sees you and me. When the Bible talks about God seeing us, it's always wrapped in this language of watching over, like a shepherd watching over his sheep. The watchful eyes of God should be understood not as a negative, but as an issue of care and interest and love for us. We know this. This is what the Bible says to us. We know this, but it can be very, very hard for us. And the church has this calling. We talked about this last week, in fact. The church has this calling to be the very image of God in the world, to be a people who live in such a way that the presence of God among uh, the invisible and the unseen in the world, that the presence of God among those people is made present. That the church has this call to be the presence of God among those who feel invisible and unseen by God and by others. And so God's eyes are now your eyes and my eyes. That we are called to see the unseen. And here's the thing. So many people feel invisible. So many people feel and live lives that are isolated and they're unseen in their lives. We have this call to be the eyes of God on the lives of others. Several years ago, we were raising money to buy this building. We were a struggling, and to be honest with you, dying church in an event space downtown. And one of the ways out for us, the exodus moment for us was, we have to get a space. We need a place to live. We were paying way too much for rent, and we didn't own it. And there were all, other, all these other issues. And so we embarked on this campaign that was virtually impossible. We need to raise a lot of money and buy this building. So we set out to do that. And then at some point during the fundraising campaign, uh, we started to get these donations from people that we didn't recognize. You know, So if you gave money, we saw your name, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Um, but we started to get a run of donations that we didn't recognize. And the person doing the money for us at that time called me. and was like, I don't know who this person is. I don't know who this person is. I don't know who this person is. So I don't know how to keep track of this, these gifts. So I went in there and dug around, and I was like, oh, these are staff members of another church in the city who are giving us money to buy our own building. 
oh, that's a church. One church south of the city gave us $10,000. Just a church. They've never been here. No one's ever come here from there. They just said, we're going to give that church ten grand to buy this building. We started to see these come through. And what it told me was, God sees us through the eyes of these other people. And they are contributing to our venture. Uh, it's helping us. But most importantly, it made me feel seen. It made us as a church feel seen by God. Just so you know, we didn't get any money uh, with the address on the envelope that said, God, 100 Heaven Road. Although, didn't you live on Redemption Road for a while? Redemption Drive. Redemption Road's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get anything like that. It came from real people who had real jobs and who had bills of their own. But God was seeing us through the eyes of others. Do you understand that? You and me are the eyes of God in the world. So I want you to think about a few things this week. Maybe things that you can do, like a well-timed note to someone that you know needs encouragement. Um, or someone that you know who is suffering and that you're just present with them, that you are with them. Uh, or maybe it's just an embrace, you know? Some people just need a hug, even in the time of COVID, maybe even more so. I used to have a quotation that I made up, but I used to say it all the time. Be sure to hug five people today because three of them will need it. And it's true. Or maybe it's just a prayer that you're praying for someone. You are the eyes of God. The church is not to sit idle and just wait for things to happen. The church has a mission to see the world as God sees it and to be his eyes and his hands and his feet in the worlds that we all inhabit. The Hebrews writer gives us something here to remember, that Jesus is not only the image of God with us, but he is the announcement of God who is for us and the proof that God cares for you and for me. So the question for you today is, what if we took that to practice? What if we, instead of walking out of here going, I learned some really interesting things about God today. And instead, what if we put what we've learned to practice? What if the question that the Hebrews writer asked what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What if that question is a question that we have to answer, that we must answer? And so I say to you, may you find ways this coming week to do and to say things that remind others that God sees them and that God cares for them. 